0: I grew up in a church uh, that we celebrated Christmas and Easter, and we never ever celebrated Pentecost. Never quite understood that, uh, but I want to talk about that some today. I told someone today we're going to leave Lazarus in the tomb one more week. And <laughs> Gary, Gary Shaw said to me, uh, sent me a text. He said, Is Lazarus getting out this week? And I said, Not this week, Gary. So uh, we'll get him out. <clears throat> we'll get him out. A lot of good stuff in there. But we tend to forget. Uh, I think, and, uh, you know, I, I think we all have a capacity uh, to forget. And even sort of a casual reading of the Bible will remind you or show you that there are celebrations and days that God uh, prescribed for people to celebrate to remember. Uh, there are lots of festivals. Uh, I was thinking uh, yesterday with the group uh, Terry Fakes took to Israel they were flying in last night, just at the end of the Pentecost celebration. What a cool thing! I'm looking for them on CNN today. There's a bunch of crazy Christians down there, or something. Uh, but they they came in right at the end of that. And if you ever read uh, the Jerusalem Post or the things like that, like I do, and uh, you'll see some of the some of the celebrations that are going on. Uh, one of the things that I loved was to find out that uh, in one of them a lot. One of the great things for is a lot of dairy items, and like us. During Pentecost, they have cheesecake. And so we're just trying to be religious here, right? (laughs) We're just trying to be godly. We're having cake. Dairy and cake. So cheesecake and all this kind of wonderful stuff. was part of the celebration in Israel uh, for Pentecost or Shavuot, Shavuot, uh, is uh, this idea of Pentecost. And we all like to remember. I mean, we're going to celebrate a weekend this weekend to remember called what day? Memorial Day. <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> sorry. This, week, yeah, this weekend, Memorial Day. Today we have in our calendar to remember the sacrifice of people who given their lives in the defense of our country. And man, what an important thing to do. You know, sometimes we have to kind of be reminded to be remembered. It's not just a day off or a day to cook out, but it really is a day to remember the sacrifice of those uh, who've given their lives. Uh, as uh, Abraham Lincoln, the full measure of their devotion. So I hope we'll remember that. We'll, we'll remember on Monday some of the great uh, uh, people that gave their lives. Uh, we have birthdays and celebrations like that. You know, we have, we have times of celebrating, wedding anniversaries. Today's a special day to me as well. Uh, you know, I, I kind of have a, a man crush on John Wesley. And uh, today, <clears throat> May the 24th, also Pentecost, uh, is the day on May 24th, 1738, that John Wesley attended a small group reading of the preface to Romans at a little lane in, uh, in uh, London called Aldersgate. And if you know anything about Methodism or grew up Methodist or are recovering from Methodism, whatever, <laughs> whatever, we're all recovering from something. Uh, uh, that on that day, at that evening, uh, Wesley reported that he had his, had his heart strangely warmed. And that was the date uh, that many uh, identify as the time that John Wesley and his brother began the Wesley Revival that basically saved England from a French Revolution. Uh, at the same time, France was coming unglued. And uh, what you have is you have Wesley. And it, so, so today, being May 24th and Pentecost, it's kind of interesting. I have a couple of special days in my own life. Do you have a couple of special days in your life that you, you remember? There, one of them is July the 13th. In 19... I'm glad you asked. In 19, <laughs> I was waiting for that. In, 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 on July the 13th, 1984, I had resigned the church I pastored in Houston, about a thousand people, good, good-sized church, uh, constituents that, and Wayne Bolenbacher was my business administrator down in Houston. And I resigned to go to work, or I mean to go to school, go to work uh, at Asbury Seminary. Didn't have a job, uh, just had a little apartment, And I remember uh, on that day, I had called a friend of mine that I knew who worked for United Parcel Service. And I asked him, I said, is there a a place where I could go to talk to them about a job? I'd worked for them years before that and had quit and wanted to come back. And I knew they had a national no rehire policy. But I wouldn't let that stop me. I thought, well, I'm going to go talk to them. Maybe I can talk them out of it. (laughs) So, I, I go and uh, I find a place and I knock on the door. I find it, th- there are 5,000 applications ahead of me. They're hiring through the Department of Human Resources in Lexington, Kentucky, downtown. And so, I go and find that place. It's off Garden Side Drive, right down from where, where we had a little apartment. I knock on the door and I knew the guy's name and I said this. I, the guy opened the door and he said, What can I do for you? I said, I need to speak to George Knobloch. He said, He's not here. I put my foot in the door. <laughs> and said, he's not here, I need a job. And why I said this, I just think the Holy Spirit gave this. I said, I need a job. I'm going to Asbury Seminary. I used to pastor in a church. I went to Gulf Coast Bible College in Houston, Texas, pastored a church. I'm going to Asbury Seminary, and I need a job. Never seen this guy in my life. And he looked at me and he said, is John Connolly still the president at Gulf Coast Bible College? I, my, I'm, not, I'm not that spiritual. My first thought, my, the first thought is, this guy is some warlock or something. <laughs> really, I, that's the first thought I had. It wasn't religious. I just thought, this guy's a mind reader, which for me wouldn't take long. You know, be a quick read. And I said, how do you know that? He said, my pastor is Roy Tencher, who's the chair of the ministry, depart, uh, ministry uh, association in Kentucky, And he's my pastor. And I said, I sent my credentials to your pastor when I transferred. He said, come in. I got the job. 5,000 applications in front of me. I had worked there before. He said, I'm going to have to go find your file because we have a national no rehire. They go. They can't find the file. And so when George Knobloch came back from Chicago and flew in, this guy... Uh, uh, Gary Baston, Gary Baston uh, uh, said to him, when I hired, he said, just hire him. July the 13th a big day for me. <laughs> Every July 13th, I remember again how miraculous it was. You know, and what for me was so great was when I got that job, I worked five days a week. I didn't work any weekends. I went to work at 3 o'clock in the morning. I worked till about 7 I was a, a seminary gr- a student, and at that job in 1984, now some of y'all remember that year. In 1984, I made 11.40 an hour. I had three weeks and two days paid vacation as a part-time employee. I had all American holidays off, full medical insurance, full dental insurance, and full optometrical insurance as a part-time employee. Was that a pretty good job? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> there wasn't another job like that in that city. July, yeah, or anywhere. <laughs> July the 13th, October the 22nd, 2003. I was coming back from Kansas or from a Chicago at a conference. I've told you some of this, but I'll just say, on October 22nd, 2003, it wasn't 100 years ago, I had an experience with Jesus where I knew, that he died for me. I won't go into a lot of detail, but he just impressed on my heart. I can just tell you, I, you know, 2003, that was only, what, do the math, 12 years ago. 13, uh, two, I don't know, carry the one. <laughs> Before 2003, I knew what the Bible said. But I was a bit, I think, like John Wesley, that my heart was strangely warmed. And I heard these three words in my heart as powerfully and as clear as crystal. He for me. Knowing that it meant He died for me. Not just for the world. I knew He did that. But He for me. I'd heard a lot of people talk about that. I, I, I you know, I—I already had a doctorate degree. I'd already been teaching the Bible for a hundred years, seems like. But I, I just never had that. I don't like to share that a lot with people because I don't want people that... Maybe you don't have that sense like that to think something. There's nothing wrong with you. It was just one of those things God did for you. So October 22nd, every year when it comes around, I, I bet you've got days like that. Well, you know what? There's a day today we're going to celebrate called Pentecost. <clears throat> this is a day, and I want to just uh, talk to you here about this. This is a this is a, a the day or the feast we remember today. The day or the and by the way, where's Vicky and Annette? Here we go. They're over here hiding. They're turning red right now. They took care of all of these decorations, got the cake. Let's give them a hand here. They're going to turn the bill into me later, and we'll see. (laughs) We'll have to go wash some dishes or something. But thank you, ladies, for for doing that. Now, this is not just something to do. I mean, uh, this is, in my judgment, a a theological and a historical necessity. We're, We're going to look at this here the day or the feast. Remember, what is Pentecost? It's a day to remember, it's a day to remember. Now, if you want to, you can go back and read in Deuteronomy chapter 16. There are several places where the, the, the Old Testament refers to this uh, celebration of Pentecost. It's a day to remember because if you want to recall, you go look at it in Deuteronomy 16, 16, that Pentecost or Shavuot is one of the three festivals that every male Jew is required to attend. It's not optional. Purim is optional, Uh, you know, uh, Rosh Hashanah is optional, but Passover, weeks, and uh, Pentecost, or Shavuot, is not optional. You can read it there that every male Jew is to attend that festival, Deuteronomy 16. So it's a day to remember and to participate. Uh, Pentecost originally uh, was the celebration 50 days after uh, Passover was over, the 49th day, and then the 50th day would have been this uh, celebration. Uh, seven weeks, it's called in the in the Old Testament, when you run into it, you'll say it won't call it Pentecost, it'll call it the Festival of Weeks, weeks that uh, it was uh, to celebrate uh, the bringing in of the grain harvest. Uh, and uh, the celebration involved bringing what we call the first fruits of grain. People would Uh, I don't want to get a lot of techno, but all the way from Passover to Pentecost, they would give an omer or like a quart of grain every day to God. It was a participant. And then this would be the bringing in of the harvest, of bringing these big sheaves and waving them before God, thanking Him for the ingathering of the harvest. You know, it's fascinating to me because some of these things that begin to happen is that whenever the Jews practiced this, they were thanking God for the in-gathering, the gathering the beginning of the harvest. And just about every theologian, I would say, that is in some sense commenting on this idea would suggest that that is exactly what is happening on the day of Pentecost. In Acts 2, you can read it. We'll look at it. When Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, the Holy Spirit came on 120 people. And after their preaching, 3,000 people were converted. What was happening? The in-gathering, the first fruits, if you will, some people call this day the birthday of the church. Now, we're not just talking about an organization. We're not just talking about a building here. We're talking about the people of God now becoming gathered together from every race and every nation and every tongue there on Pentecost. You can read that in Acts 2. They hear the message of the gospel in their own language. The miracle seems to be in the hearing. Let me say it to you again. Go read it carefully. It says, we hear this wonderful works of God in our own Language. So somehow there is a miracle where Peter and others are speaking. They think they uh, people think they're, they're drunk. They're hearing this in some way apparently that is understandable to the Medes and Perinthians and Egyptians and Jebusites and mosquito bites and all those different. Okay, I'm trying to keep you awake. Okay. Get some sugar back there. That'll keep you awake. The ingathering of the harvest. The in-gathering of the heart. And so the work of the Spirit on Pentecost coordinates with this to say, to show us that now God is beginning the ingathering, if you will, of people from every race, every not just Jewish, every race, every tribe, every language, every nation. No one is able to be withheld from that. So it's a marvelous imager here that did that. The second thing that even is more fascinating to me is Pentecost was also considered by the rabbis, and they taught this uh, rather uh, importantly, which we need to remember, is that Pentecost was also the day that God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. The idea is it took him 40, uh, 50 day, 49 to 50 days to get out of, Israel, out of Egypt, and then get to Sinai, and then to receive the Ten Commandments. Rabbi's comment on this of saying that it is in Pentecost we celebrate the giving of the law that after the children of Abraham left Egypt and they accepted the law, they said, we will keep these laws, we'll follow That this is what constitutes the people of Abraham to be the nation of Israel. Now think about that for a minute. That having been given the law, the rabbis teach that God tried to give the law to the Gentiles. And they didn't want it. Now, that's uh, there's not much evidence to that. But in rabbinical teaching, there is this idea that God offered the law to the Gentiles first, and they rejected it. So God picked the smallest of the peoples, he said, and he gave them the law, and that's what made them a nation. That's what made them a people. Can, can, can I say this to you? I want to suggest to you that the coordination here on this is this as well what makes people from every race and every nation and every tribe and every tongue, the people of God, is the Spirit. The giving of the Spirit is what makes people from different races and different languages and different tongues one. The Spirit is what constitutes now the people of God. The Spirit, if you will, is what makes us the people of God. And it seems to me that this is exactly why Jesus said to them, Wait. Wait until the Holy Spirit comes. What is it that makes us the people of God? It's not just that we all see this look the same or act the same. It's that we all as followers of Jesus participate in life in the Spirit. Now, I may get ahead of myself, but I want to show you something here. And you don't have to agree with this. You know, thoughts and opinions, teacher—not necessarily thoughts and opinions across the community church. It's elders or leadership. I want to suggest to you something. Why this is so important, and it and it and it, and it confuses me a little bit uh, as to uh, why we don't make more of this day. I I I just think as I read the Bible that if you were to press me hard, I would tell you that the goal. Of all of God's redemptive activity. Is Pentecost. Not Calvary. Now just think about that for a minute. The cross. The death and resurrection of Jesus. If you will. Is the means. The means here. Is the incarnation. The life. The teaching. The death. And then the resurrection of Jesus. Now, now why, would, why would I say that? I would say it this way, because let me give you the second idea here. It's a, we can talk about that in a minute. It's a promise kept. The day of Pentecost is a promise kept. I'm going to just say this and come back, and I'll, I'll work us through this. It, it's fascinating to me, in Luke... And in John and other gospels That when Jesus is raised from the dead And his disciples see him on the mountain in Galilee And he is saying All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me Sikkim Wouldn't you think? What does he say? Wait 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 You go to Jerusalem and wait. Why? This is not done yet. Listen, I'm I'm not denigrating anything about the gospel. I'm saying I want to get clear on what is the goal of the gospel. And I think our failure at times to see this is why there may be, if we're not careful, that we try to live the Christian life by trying harder. Instead of having the empowerment of the Spirit to enable us to live our lives. Because this is the goal, if I'm reading this right. You wait. You're not ready. You can't go yet. Things aren't ready. You, you, you have to wait until you receive the... Pr- we'll look at that here in a second. Notice here. I'm just going to give you a few pro- a promise kept. I don't know if I have... Yeah, I do. I, I, promise of the new covenant. I'm going to give you some verses here you can look at them. We'll take a look at that. In Ezekiel 36, 26, maybe one of the most famous uh, passages as it relates to this uh, matter is found here in Ezekiel 36, 26. Listen to these words here. Jesus, or Ezekiel is, said, I will uh, sprinkle you with clean water and I will make you clean. I will cleanse you from your idols. Verse 26, moreover, this is God speaking, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. That will what? What does it say there in verse 27? What will it do? It will cause you to walk in my statute, see, I, as I, as I'm getting older, you know, all the time. I, 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 don't, I, I just keep coming back to this, that, that this matter of living the Christian life is a heart issue. It's not a behavior issue. It's not an action issue. It's a heart issue. You know, it, it's, it has something to do with this internalness. That the new covenant, that that Jesus' work comes to get... This isn't just try harder. This isn't just a makeover. This isn't just add a couple of things here. This is, as my Pentecostal sister-in-law would say, a Holy Ghost takeover. <laughs> right? I mean, really now. I'm going to give you a new heart. I mean, I, this is radical stuff. I, I hear p- sometimes people will say, well, you know... The heart is wicked. I said, no, that's Jeremiah. That's the Old Covenant. Again, this is where Wesley... I I love him when Wesley would always talk about this cult. He called it religion. He wasn't being dismissive. He said, religion of heart. Religion of the heart. It's got to get down in there. This is not something we can do. You know, try to do your own heart transplant. Try try that one. You know, try, try to... I remember a hundred years ago, it seems like, on Johnny Carson. Remember him? Johnny Carson, Christian Barnard from South Africa was on the program, and they had just performed a, a, a successful open-heart surgery, or transplant, sorry, transplant. And, and he was on there, and as I recall, you know, he, he brings this like jar in formaldehyde like that and shows an old damaged heart. And holds it up and says, this is what was in the guy. And we transplanted another heart into him. And now, now he's alive and with his kids. And you know, you look on there and you say, there, there's an old heart. It looked pretty bad. See, they, they didn't say, well, let's just go clean that one up. They said, we got to put a new one in him. Folks, I, I just tell you, I, I just ask God on somewhat more regular basis now than I ever have. Oh, God, give me your heart. He said he would. I, I, I believe that. I, just, I have to bring that to the conscious level. That this is more than religion. This is more than activity. This is more than morality. This is more than trying harder. This is the miracle of Pentecost. I'm going to give you a new heart. What an incredible thing. So so this idea here, or this promise, is a new heart. Now watch this. I, I, want, to, I want to go to another. A promise of John the baptizer. I was just reading this the other day, and meditating on it, and I felt the Holy Spirit really kind of just uh, slow me down a little bit. Look at Matthew chapter three. I'm going to get, let me let me give you the verses to write down here for later. You can look at Matthew chapter three, verse eleven. Mark chapter one, verses six to eight. Luke chapter three, verses fifteen to sixteen. John chapter one, verse twenty nine to thirty four. In every gospel, and every gospel, John the baptizer, he's not a Baptist yet, he's a baptizer. (laughs) John the baptizer says, there's somebody coming greater than me. I baptize you in water. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Did you know that's what Jesus came to do? Now, baptism is this imagery of immersing in. It's not just some emotional experience. The idea of baptizo. We usually, the word baptizo is the word that used to mean to sink a ship, (laughs) take it under. To come under the influence, to come under the effects, to come under the, if you will, purview of the Spirit. How have we missed that? You know, I, I, I love it. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That's in John right there. But he says, look, he is coming after me. He's greater than I. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Do we we remember that? That that John the Baptist told us a promise? He said, listen, when this... So I wonder, have we concentrated so much on John's message of forgiveness that we've forgotten the message of empowerment? I don't want to forget the message of forgiveness. Anybody else? I, I don't want to forget that. I don't want to forget the message of forgiveness that the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But John says over and over again, He who sent me said, He who see the Spirit descend on This is the one who will baptize them in the Holy Spirit. I don't want to forget the empowerment side of this. That this is a new day. This is what I'm saying. Pentecost is so important. It's a new day. What constituted the Jews having the law, the Torah, having that, making them the nation, what makes them the people, of God, what makes us the people of God is this wonderful, incredible experience of being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Here's another one the promise of the Father. I'll give you verses here Luke 24, 44 to 49. Luke 24, Forty-four to forty-nine, Acts one four. Let's just look at that. Acts one. It's real simple, right there. It's real close there in the front. When Jesus is in these forty days, um, I felt bad. You know, last Sunday was Ascension Sunday. We forgot to to do anything about that because last Sunday is was the Sunday to celebrate Acts one here that when Jesus ascended back to heaven, and then the days after that they waited. Notice what he says here, uh, or uh, or uh, uh, Luke does. To these, Jesus uh, talking about the disciples. To these, he presented himself alive after his sufferings by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of forty days, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait. For what the Father had promised, which He said, You have heard from Me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So He says, wait, He's taught them, He's been with them. Jesus is saying this is the promise of the Father. When you go to Acts 2, if you will, over here, the actual day of Pentecost, whenever the Holy Spirit is poured out, Peter responds to the crowd by saying, this is in accordance to what had been promised by the Father in Joel chapter 2. In the last days, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. On your manservant and your mate. By the way, you, you understand how radical that is? That the Spirit will be poured out on men and women. That's amazing in that culture in that day. That women would be filled with the Spirit. And also the free and the bond or the slave. This sort of promise of the Father that it knows no racial, knows no historical, knows no socioeconomic things. You know, I, I've been a pastor for, uh, before, and I'm not anymore. Uh, you might know why, but... <laughs> um, there's a thing... You know, I, I know there's a thing called soci, uh, homogeneous units where people who are like each other gather together. It's called a homogeneous, it's a sociological, it's a homogeneous unit. But I tell you, as I get older again, I keep looking at our church and other churches and say, where's all the differences? You know, this isn't just an organization. This is where free and slave, who are rich and poor, Where black and white and red and yellow, black and white, are all together because we don't share just some common socioeconomic category. We share life in the spirit. I grew up in a home, my dad was an interesting guy. And one of the things that I knew about my dad is my dad always got in trouble because he didn't cater to certain people. He was poor, it was rich, it was black, it was white. He just believed that God's Spirit made us one. The craziest thing he ever did. There was a guy in our church named Omer. You can know where this is going with a guy named Omer, okay? <laughs> My dad's a gearhead. Was a gearhead. He loved cars, and he on his day off, he'd go to go to car lots and and just look at cars. He wouldn't buy them; just look at them. Then, then he'd buy an old car and fix it up and sell. It was his hobby. Sell, you know, for 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 recreation. He'd play golf or any other kind of stuff. Early. Uh, so uh, anyway. He had made this incredible deal on this old two hundred and forty Mercedes uh, uh, diesel. You know, you, you, it was so—you timed it with a calendar. I mean, it was so slow, but man, it made great gas mileage. My dad loved it, and it was kind of a cool car. So, my dad just treats people like people. And and, and Omer comes to the church to the church. Now, my dad is in his office stuck like that, and Omer says, "Brother Sanders, I need your help." He said, "Nobody will help me." This guy was kind of the town, uh, well, I won't say that, uh, but the town weirdo, yeah, something like that, never married, just was weird, I mean, that doesn't make you weird, I'm not saying that, I mean, <laughs> no, sometimes getting married makes you weird, <laughs> yeah, I was fine, <laughs> I, t- I tell my students all the time, your parents were cool until they had you, and, uh, he says to my dad, I need you to help me to go to the vet. My dad said, well, right now? I said, yeah. He said, uh, my pet pig is sick. And I got him in a box. And my dad said, "Uh, what? (laughs) So here's my dad with kind of the town weirdo with a pig in a box (laughs) in a Mercedes 240 driving down Main Street. (laughs) That's my dad. That's my dad. My dad said every day, the key to living the Christian life, Cliff, is walking in the Spirit. He didn't always do it perfectly, but he said living in the Spirit, this promise of the Father that we have. Listen, we're not here today, and we're not unified, and we're not friends and buddies because we just share some socio-economic things. Our fellowship's deeper than that. It's red and yellow, black and white. It's rich and poor, It's connected. It's disconnected. It's this promise of the Spirit from the Father. Have you you taken hold of that promise? This promise comes from the Old Testament. This promise comes from John the Baptizer. This promise comes from the Father in every way. It's a promise. How could you do that? I want you to talk just for a minute. We did this last week. I don't want to scare you. If you're new, you may not. I want you to talk around your tables real quick, just a couple of minutes. How could a person apply this truth of the promise to their life this week? I'll give you two minutes. Talk. Okay. All right. I told you last week I'm concerned about application. That when I talk to you about an application, it doesn't register. When you talk about an application, it registers. Okay. So how could a person do this this week? Anybody want to share this real quick? Who's got one? Quick. It doesn't say you're going to do that. How, how could a person do this? By trying harder. Try. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you're dismissed. <clears throat> yeah. How, what? Hey, just Just say, just, just, yes. How? Okay. Listen to the truth of the word this week. You know, I thought about when, when you guys were doing this, I thought about, you know what, uh, what we need to do is tell ourselves this. Be sowers of the word into ourselves about these truths. Take one of these promises, Jesus, the old—I mean, the Father, John the Baptizer, or the Old Testament passage, and put that in your heart and soul this week. Allow that. Now, let's move on. Here's, here's another one. Thank you. That should say, I had trouble with my computer again this morning. Isn't that surprising? A life to be lived. <clears throat> I want to give you real quick, uh, this Pentecost is not only a day to remember, a promise to live, a promise to keep, but a promise to remember, but a life to be lived. I think uh, the difficulty for us sometimes is that the, the the Scripture, we got so many people telling us this is the way to live life in the Spirit. And I'm just going to share with you, I think there are four basic Views, our basic understanding of what it means to live in the Spirit. And I think that t- we tend to get so imbalanced that we can't handle all of these. And so I just want to suggest to you that this life in the Spirit is more than just an emotion. It's more than an experience. There really is some real possible understanding of how do I live this life. So let me give it to you first of all. I think I got it on here. No, I don't. <clears throat> That's how much trouble I have. Let me give it to you. Number Number one. Number one. The life to be lived. A life of proclamation, <clears throat> a life of proclamation, P-R-O-C-L-A-M-A-T-I-O-N. This is a pretty familiar passage, you, you, you may know it, but Jesus said this in Acts 1-8, And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my, what? Witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. I want to suggest to you this life to be lived is a life of proclamation. Now, here's where the the trouble comes in. The word there, witness, martureo, is the word we get martyr. It, It doesn't mean that you're going to live your life talking all the time. It doesn't mean that you're going to live your life jabbering. It, it does mean that you're going to live a life that tells the truth about Jesus. They're going to look at our lives and say, you know what, there's something different about them. You know, see, we think the proclamation means that we're just going to have to, hey, if you were to die tonight, do you know he'd go to heaven? Yeah. I, I got trained in that. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing. But a life of Mar to re- Proclamation here means that our lives live. Folks, listen, you, you know this as well as I do, that there's been a lot of talk in Christian circles that people say there isn't much walk that corresponds to it, right? Marty keeps reminding us over and over again. This, this is not a matter of talking proclamation. The Holy Spirit comes. We live our life as a witness. Before I've told you this before. When we lived in Lexington, I think I, t- think I told you. When we lived in Lexington, I set our car on fire accidentally, uh, but nonetheless, I set it on fire, Um, and so we only had one car, and so Becky had to start riding the bus to the University of Kentucky, where she was working, and so uh, Becky would walk down, because I had to go to work at 2.30 in the morning, I had to have a car, and so she'd go ride the bus, and Becky would would ride the bus, and she's real mouthy, you know, and real talkative, and uh, she'd find a spot to sit down and start reading, you know, going to UK, University of Kentucky, reading. And she would sit there and read and and, uh, just, you know, get on the bus and be her nice self that she is. And uh, after about a month or so, sometime in there, there was an elderly lady that was riding the bus all the time at the same time with her. And I think Becky had said, hello, hi, how are you doing? This lady one day said, "Uh, pardon me, but can I ask you a question? She goes, you're a Christian, aren't you? You know what? I've never had anybody say that to me. (laughs) Nobody's just up and said, hey, are you a Christian? They've said, are you a preacher? <laughs> you know? What a witness. And Becky said, yes, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. What, what if we quit worrying so much about what we said and just allowed the Holy Spirit to help us live? To just say each day, Lord, Holy Spirit, help me to do my business in a way that people would somehow get us S- sent of you. Help, help me live my life in a way that, that people might wonder why do you act that way? Why do you do that? So it's a life of proclamation. Number two, it's a life of power for service. It's a life of power for service. You can go read these again. Read, it's 1 Corinthians 11 and Romans I'm sorry, First Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. You know, the, the Bible teaches that every follower of Jesus has been empowered with spiritual gifts. I, I, I think that, that, that one of the things that we need to remind people is that we don't serve and work in the church or other areas because we have to. Because there's some duty that, well, you know, I've got to go to heaven so I better do something good while I'm here. But the idea of spiritual gifts. Now, we've had classes around here before to help people. To identify. your I will tell you this. I believe this. I believe that until you discover your spiritual gifts, or, or gift at least, and get busy in it and get involved in it, you will never know why you were created. I, I really believe that. I don't think there's anything in the world that's more enlivening and more empowering. And when you finally figure out, okay, this is what God gifted me to be a part of. This is what God... I've seen some of you in service. I've seen some of you in... I don't mean like church service. In serving and in caring for other people. And I look at you and see the life that comes to you. Not, not, to, you know, not just because somebody's got to do it or somebody has to do it. But because God has gifted you in that way. Do you know what your spiritual gift is? I have a friend that said she was an eyelash on the eye. And I said, okay, Jan... Here's how real quick you can do it. Let me me tell you how. Number one, what would you do for God if you could do anything? Now, this can get selfish, but if you could do anything for God, what would you do? Number two, what have others seen you good at? You know, they've seen you serve and do things, and they say, you know what, when you when you listen, I will t- I'm not I'm not feigning humility at all. When somebody told me I thought I was an evangelist in my gifted. And somebody said to me one day, they said, Cliff, you're a teacher. And I went, who are you huh? I mean, I graduated 208 out of 288. I was a real scholar. It was the shock of my life that God gave me the gift of teaching. I- I'm serious. But have others seen you doing something that you might say or they'd say to you, "Hey, you know what When you did that? That was, that was great. You were effective. So what would you do if you could do anything about? It? What do other people say? Number three, take a spiritual gift test. Churchgrowth.org has a free one. Take you about 10 minutes. Churchgrowth.org is free you don't have to sign up for anything or, any, but Churchgrowth.org. Find out what your spiritual gift is. I will tell you, again, I believe this. I, I love my work. I'll tell you, I was talking to somebody one day about teaching to the university and, and like that. And, and uh, they were saying, but you also teach a Bible study uh, on Friday morning? Yeah. And you teach a Sunday school class? Yes. And you train, you're working on training the staff? and the, uh, Yeah. And they said, why do I you that? Know? I said, because my job's not enough. See, I don't think a job is enough. I mean, we all have to have a job, right? We need a job. Provide for our families. I, I don't think a job's enough. And I'm telling you, I work at a Christian job. It's not enough. That's a job. It's where I serve, and I, I, I'm glad to use some gifts. I, but I tell people, that's not enough. I, Becky would tell you, I'm not fulfilled by only teaching at the university. She, she told me the other day when I came home, she goes, you're vibrating. I said, I know. I've been working with the staff. It's been so much fun. Find your gift. Uh, Number three. Number three. A life. These all start with P's. You might say, I'll I'll give a poem here in a minute. We'll be done. (laughs) A life of presence. A life of presence. Jesus makes some interesting statements when he refers to the Holy Spirit. I would recommend we'll get there someday when we get in these conversations with Jesus and John. But Jesus said this. He said, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to ask the Father, and He's going to give you another Helper to be with you forever. You know, some, some scholars say that, that what has happened on Pentecost is that God has now re-entered His temple. Who's His temple? We are. That God has now re-entered His temple. And He says, He will be with you forever. In John 14, 23, Jesus said, If you love Me, you'll keep My words, and My Father will love you, and we will come and make our home in you. Think about that. I mean, for some, me included... I think I don't have a real high opinion of myself at times and sometimes the sense of shame or the sense of I'm not good enough. But Jesus said this is what's going to happen. That when the Holy Spirit comes, He's going to come live in you. This is an inside deal. I'm stunned by that. When I read what Jesus said, that He would come and live within us. That He would be our keeper. He would be our advocate. He would abide in us. Is that your experience? Is that mine? Now again, I'm not saying you have to feel something. I'm saying sometimes we just need to come back to remember this day. That this is what Jesus came to do. He didn't come just to die on the cross and and forgive us of our sins and watch us stumble along all through life. But came to bring a presence and a power when Jesus says this, I want to give you another helper. It's interesting. The word there in John 14, 16, another, there are two words in Greek for another. One is heteros, which means another of a different kind. This is alos, which means another of the same kind. In other words, Jesus said, I'm sending you a helper who's just like me. The Holy Spirit. I'm sending you somebody He's just like me. So the rabbis and others would teach that that, we have, or that that in the age of the Messiah, that the Spirit would come. I don't know if you ever, you might, maybe you don't read rabbinical theology like I do, and that's okay. But, but the idea was that when the Messiah came, it would be characterized by this. The age of the Spirit. The age of the Spirit. Now, how do we make this plan in our life? Let, let, me, let me stop right here and let's just finish right here. I believe, and you've heard me say this before, so this may not be a lot of new to you, but I'll remind you. The Scripture teaches in Ephesians 5.18 that we are to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a one-time thing. It's not a cataclysmic event. It isn't just something happens and now I'm fixed. Wouldn't that be wonderful if that happened? I would vote for that. If I could have an experience with God that... Fixed me, man. I know, Don't say amen. That hurts my feelings. It, it, it's a little painful. A little painful. I want something to fix me because I don't want to live in daily dependence on God. That's where it is. I don't want to live in daily dependence on God. So I want an experience that will fix me. It's not out there. What is out there? Is a relationship. Daily being filled by the power of the Holy Spirit. I read that on my prayer list each morning to be, be, being, it's in the present, be, being filled. My problem, maybe yours is too, I get filled with other things. I get filled with my plans, I get filled with my capacity. I get filled with my ideas. I get filled with my plans. Instead of saying, now, Lord, I want you to fill me with you. How how, how does that happen? Only the Spirit of God can do this. If there's a hunger in your heart for more. If there's a desire to say, there is more. There is a goal here for the Holy Spirit to... To be living in his temple. We just have to get to that place. As I've said before. Where it's our inadequacy. That creates our capacity. For God to work in our lives. Hear it again. It's our inadequacy. That creates capacity. For God to work in our lives. When you're full of you. Or I'm full of me. We don't don't need him. But when we come to that understanding, maybe through some hard times, I have to have this new heart, this new spirit to live. Would you do this? The word spirit is the Greek word pneuma, which means breath. I want you to do this, and then I'm going to pray, and we're going to be gone. I just want you to breathe in right now. Just breathe. Breathe. And as you do that, you just say, Lord, I'm I'm breathing in. This is just consciousness. This isn't magic. I'm just breathing in your spirit. And now through the rest of this day and the rest of this week, I'm going to breathe pneuma in and out. The spirit in, the spirit out. I'm going to breathe pneuma throughout the week to breathe in his presence his power his spirit in my life lord jesus we don't want to stop short of what you went to such incredible effort and expense on the cross to give to us we want all that you have and we ask today that maybe today pentecost could be that day to bring us to new consci- our awareness to a new understanding, to a new, a new hope and belief that there is more there. And pray that in this coming week and these coming days that we might live breathing in the Spirit that You have purchased and given to us. We want to be people who live in the reality and the power of Pentecost. Those who know that you, Jesus, have baptized us into this life, immersed us into this life in the Spirit. or we pray this in your strong name. Amen. Happy Pentecost.